Well, buenos dias, hermanos. It's always a delight to be in this marvelous ministry, and thank you for the invitation to come back and join you for another session here on the Lord's Day. It's been a remarkable weekend for all of us here, and we thank God for His safety, provision for us. I want to thank uh, Pastor Mike for invitation to join uh, here today and to share the Word of God from this pulpit. Brother Mike is a marvelous man of God, doing a marvelous job for the glory of God, and we thank the Lord for raising him up and making him such a special instrument here in Southern California and also across the nation now as you launch churches in different parts of the, of the nation. You know, when, you, <clears throat> when you're invited to come and speak in a church like this, a preacher like myself has a dilemma Dilemma, because we know that from this pulpit, almost every doctrine that there is in Scripture is taught, preached from the text, and we know that uh, there's been faithful in exposing the Word of God. So somehow you're in a dilemma. Your dilemma, you're you're like trying to find a a Christmas present for someone that that already has everything. You know, people like that. They have everything. So what are you buying for Christmas? Well, you we don't know because you already have everything. And so when we think about preaching. To this audience, you've heard everything there is to hear about, and so we are in a dilemma what we're bringing this morning. So over the course of uh, the last few weeks and months, uh, <clears throat> my, uh, my heart was provoked back in June uh, as Paul was in Athens, book of, Acts, book of Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul was in Athens waiting some of his comrades, and the word of God says his heart was provoked as you saw the idols and people worshiping different gods. Well, back in June, my own heart was provoked when our, uh, our nation celebrated the month of June as Gay Pride Month. What a travesty for any nation who wants to be one nation under God. And then to, to top it off, uh, the Dodgers, my, my, baseball, my baseball team, decided to take one of their days, one of their nights, and dedicate it to honoring a perverted and anti-Christian organization called the Nuns of Perpetual Indulgence, a group noted for their perversion, noted for the mockery of Christianity and the mockery of Christ, and then to make them the object of their, of their adoration and recognition on that particular night. It's like that... Uh, that was totally, totally provoked my soul. But it also reminded me that that's the tip of the iceberg. The tip of the iceberg. If the tip of the iceberg is so, is so perverted and so in your face when it comes to godly living and so in your face as far as being anti-Christianity, what does the rest of the iceberg look like? And that reminds us then, reminds us, that we are in a very difficult time here in America, a very difficult time here in our state of California, and a difficult time for our churches. I was in Cincinnati later on that month at a conference, and we had a chance to tour the city of, of Cincinnati. We got a little t a trolley ride, and, and it's interesting that the only organizations that were flying the gay pride flag were the Christian churches in the city. What a travesty for the kingdom of God. And so there is something amiss in America. 
There's something amiss in our churches. And I suppose none of us have been immune. I know our church has not been immune from that. We've been there for over 50 years, ministering to the same people. We are seeing the encroachment, almost like uh, the humidity uh, coming in and, and, and affecting our people, affecting especially our younger generation concerning godless living. And we know that Compass Bible Church is no exception, that we've also been infected by that. So I've been led to preach to you, share with you this morning from the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Would you open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1? This is a Bible church, is it not? Show me your Bibles, iPhones, iPads, let's stand together and read. Open your Bibles to chapter 1 of the book of 1 Peter. This will be our text for the morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Here's how it reads today. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to your former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear <clears throat> during the time of your stay on the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, where he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last days for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all the glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn babies desire or long for the, sins, the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Father, thank you. <clears throat> thank you for allowing us to taste how good you are to us. We have sung of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we've sung of forgiveness, we've sung of your great love and joy, we've sung of your holiness. Now our Father impress that upon us today as we allow your word to impact our lives, open our understanding, make our wills pliable in your hands. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, my beloved. The focus of our text, the main purpose that Peter has given us here in the whole epistle of 1 Peter is summed up in verse 
in verses 14 and 15. And the admonition, the exhortation is really in verse 15. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. That is Peter's passion. 2,000 years ago, the people that he addressed were living in the same situation that we're living in today. They were pilgrims in a, in a land that was filled with all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And he's addressing through this epistle these pilgrims, these Christians scattered in the Roman Empire, exhorting them to holy living, to holy living. We're going to exhort ourselves along the same line. Because I'm, I'm of the persuasion that none of us here have, are immune from what has been taking place in our culture. How perversion and godless living is infecting every one of us here. And our churches are not immune to that. And God is calling us to holiness. But not just holiness, but to holy living. We're going to break this paragraph into four distinct exhortations. Because in the main exhortation, there are some minor exhortations that he addresses. Let's consult these today in our looking at God's Word. First of all, in verse 13, his first exhortation for us is to exhort us to prepare ourselves for holy living. Prepare ourselves for holy living. It is obvious from the epistle not only from this epistle, but from all of the New Testament, that holy living doesn't just happen. <clears throat> it's not like we just become Christians and all of a sudden everything's done. There is a sense where, yeah, God makes us a holy people and that we ourselves are encouraged by God to live out, to work out our salvation and to allow then our lives to become a holy life. And there's a sense here where Peter's saying, that is your calling, therefore prepare yourselves. Think about it. Calling, a holy calling, your conduct is to be holy, is something that God has called us to do, but you need to prepare yourself for that. And so think about this. First of all, he says, you need to take holy living seriously. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. He uses a descriptive picture here. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. Picture of uh, long, in those days people wore a long robe. Men wore long robes. Soldiers had long robes in case of the cold, etc. And when it came time for action, they took the robes and they rolled them up. Rolled them up and then tied them. Girded around their waists. Now they're ready to run. Now they're ready to work. Now they're ready to fight. And God is saying the same thing with all of us. You need to stop and think about this aspect of holy living. Oh, yeah, there's a ton of things you're thinking about. But the one thing that I want you to think about this morning, he says to us, is to think about the whole issue of taking holy living seriously. And then he says, secondly, in preparation, keep sober in spirit. Particular word used by Peter and used by not only the Apostle Paul, but also even our Lord Jesus Christ. The holy issue of waking up. Wake up. Be alert. Don't be complacent. Don't live in apathy. 
Don't be lulled into a sense of spiritual, special, spiritual sleepiness. You need to wake up. And there's a sense where the Christian church today needs to wake up to the fact that God has called us to a holy lifestyle. You see, <clears throat> in our culture today, some profess to be Christians, but they are not. I want to say that because it's possible even in a church like Compass Bible Church, as, uh, as clear as the message is taught here, it is always possible that you may be here and, sir, you're not a real Christian. You're simply here. Ma'am, you're not a real born-again child of God. You profess. You tell people you're a child of God. You profess that you're a Christian, but you're not. Our Lord Jesus Christ warned us about that as he finished the great stone on the mount, where he said, not all that say to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because you profess means nothing. It is those that do the will of my Father who is in heaven that shall enter into it. Our Lord nailed it. It's got to be the real thing. Got to be the real thing. And we as God's people, God's churches need to wake up and realize that not, not all those that profess to be Christ. I mean, they tell me that 90% of our congressmen in Washington, D.C., are professing Christians. Figure that one out. We know something's really wrong. When the stench of our nation begins in Washington and then filters out across the land. And so he says, understand that some profess to be believers, but somehow they've never grown. They are simply ignorant of what's taking place. And the apostle Paul, Peter will address that. For example, go to chapter 4, chapter 4 and verse 15. Follow me in your scriptures now. Go to chapter 4 and verse 15. That Peter would make this exhortation to the people there. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief, or an evildoer, or troublesome meddler. He's addressing people that have somehow allowed themselves to get involved in this type of behavior. Murdering? Really? Involved in this as thieves, or evildoers, or troublesome meddlers? It is possible that we as a people of God are so ignorant concerning are living that somehow we tolerate this kind of lifestyle. My, uh, my son was a, a, an Orange County deputy sheriff. He served here in this community. He served Orange County. And he said he even served in Mission Viejo. He says, I hated to work in Mission Viejo. He says, nothing ever happens there. <laughs> and so he has to be transferred. So he was transferred to Santa Ana. That's where all the action is, he says. But what he made this observation, he says, whenever you arrest, arrest these guys and you put them in jails, all of a sudden, everybody's born again. Now they're born again in prison. Now they profess to be Christians. That's the problem we have, people. We have people that live a godless lifestyle and still claim to be born again. And we tolerate this kind of behavior. It could be some among us here. You're living like this. You're a troublesome meddler. You're living as a, as a thief. You're an evildoer because somehow you haven't, it hasn't registered in your heart that that is really wrong. That's not godly behavior. God is not going to smile upon that type of behavior. Look at the text again. Go to chapter 1. And he says, he says, not only that, prepare yourself to action also means this, that you fix your hope completely on the return 
of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Throughout the New Testament, the great motivation for holiness has always been the return of Jesus Christ for his people. It would have been, I would have loved to have the Lord allow us to be born again. And the moment you're born again, you're raptured into heaven. Man, what a trip that would have been. But that's not the way God has designed us. We are saved and then we were allowed to be pilgrims here. But his pilgrims were looking to the celestial city whose architect and builder is God. We're looking to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the motivation for the believer. Jesus taught us that in the parables. Parable after parable after parable to be ready. To be ready for the coming of the bridegroom. And so we're called to that. Paul works and reminds us of that. To be awake and not be in stupor, Romans chapter 13. Apostle John in his epistle, 1 John chapter 2, 28 and following, reminded us the great motivation for holiness is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in Peter's epistle, here in his second epistle, great motivation is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we don't, we don't live with that. Matter of fact, some of you are, like this young lady said to me, Pastor, I don't want Jesus to come just like right away. I'd like to get married first. Figure that one out. Figure that one out. You see, we live in that. And the great motivation is always the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to remind ourselves he can come at any moment. I mean, when I heard about this coming, uh, coming hurricane here in Southern California, I, I thought about changing my message. I thought about be preaching about Noah and the great flood. Figure that one out, all right? But is Jesus coming? Talk to me now. And by the way, this, this morning, let's, 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 let's have an agreement. I know that Pastor John, I mean, he's a, he's a doctor, and he's a, a great, heady theologian, preaches lofty messages, and you sit in awe and quietness and listen. Uh, I'm not that. Okay, so you and I are here, and we're having enchiladas for breakfast this morning. And when I ask a question, I want you to answer me. Good. Now, and so understand that it's that, that the Lord is calling us to prepare ourselves, prepare ourselves for this whole issue of holy living. And so we're thinking about that. We need to then be thinking about the fact that God has called us to holy living, and therefore it should be something that every day we think about. We look in the mirror of God's word. We look at God and say, Lord, how am I? What is my life like? I want to prepare today as I live my life that I will glorify you with my life. Notice now the second exhortation in chapter 1 of 1 Peter and verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. He's calling us to what I would call separation. Separation. If we're to live a holy life, there has to be a separation. The word holiness, hagias, the word to sanctify, hagiazo, that word means to separate, to set it aside, to pull it aside so it becomes something apart. And that's what the word technically means, to separate. So when you and I are called to holy living, we're called to be separate. We're called to be separate. 
And seeing this is where the rubber sometimes meets the road, is that it's something we don't like. See, we don't mind preachers talking about holiness. We don't mind people talking about this great theme of, but when it comes to separation, we don't like that. We don't want to be the squares in our culture. We don't want to be the misfits in our culture. We don't want our friends to look at us and say, you know, you're kind of wacko in the way that you carry out your life. You know what? You, you dress kind of weird for today's society. You know, it's so old-fashioned in the way you think. See, we don't like that kind of discussion. So our, so our great problem is conformity, to conform ourselves to the world. And Peter's saying, that'll never do. That will, that will never do. You have to separate. And, and just by way of discussion, notice verse 14. First of all, he says, do not be conformed to your former lust, which are yours in your ignorance. He says, recognize that you used to be somebody that you're not anymore. You're saved out of a culture. You're saved out of an old way of life, the old man. That's not you anymore. You are different. You're different. Don't be conformed to your former lust that you did in your absolute ignorance. You had no idea that you were living that kind of godless lifestyle. He says, that is not you anymore. There has to be a transformation. Listen, friend, if you're here this morning and there's no change from what you used to be and what you are now, we have a major problem, a major problem. There has to be a a before and after. There has to be a time when you did this and you didn't know that. And so now that's what he's saying. Don't ever, don't ever go back. Don't ever allow yourself to go back to the things you did in your ignorance. Back then you had an excuse. Now you don't. Back then you were in ignorance. Now you're not. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Second, he says, if you address... If you address this father, one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on the earth as your pilgrimage, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Peter is addressing two audiences, those Jews converted to Christ and heathen pagans converted to Christ. That composed the church, those that came out of Judaism, those that came out of paganism. And either way, you had a past, you had a futile way of life. It was a dead-end street. You Judaizers, it was dead-end. It was all religion. It was works. You never had any peace, never had forgiveness, never knew God. And you heathens, you had no idea who God really was. You were ignorant, absent. Godless. He says, your philosophies drove you there. Your great philosophers, whoever they are, could not ever, ever give you a purpose for life. Either way, your life was futile going nowhere. He says, don't ever go back there. Don't ever allow yourself to be conformed to this former, this former futile way of living. That's not for us to do. And people of God, they are everywhere. We have all these philosophies floating through the air. We have all these people that are 
so-called the, the great spokespeople for, for, for America, for our culture. I subscribe to Time Magazine, not because I like it. I just like to read what's happening on the other side of hell. You know what I'm saying? That's why I subscribe to it. And they're always promoting these people, you know, the, the person of the year. And there are always these wackos with weird philosophies. We have people that are speaking for America that can kick a ball through a goal. They can pass so many yards. They can win so many games. They can perform so well on media. They are musical, talent, talented geniuses, but their philosophies are bankrupt, totally bankrupt, a futile way of life. That's not for us people. That's not for us to do. And Paul, Peter says, get away from these people. Don't allow yourselves to become overwhelmed by the futile way of life. Go to chapter 2, 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Would you turn there, please? He also says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Again, separation from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And people, the reason why the Dodgers and the nuns of perpetual indulgence and all the gay pride and all of that is that we are a nation that is drowning in our lustful passions. We are, we, that's who we are. And we are not immune. As some of you here that are parents, you have children that have, that have succumbed to that. You're, 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 you're paying them. You're trying to help them. And they've gone AWOL in this direction. As some of you here, your major problem is your addictions. Your major problem with your, with your marriages is your addictions to this and to that. He says we need to, we need to be willing to separate from the fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And our nation is consumed by that. Our addictions are everywhere. And our cities, our cities are showing what we've been doing now for the last 50 years, 60 years, of giving, giving way to addictions. Look at our homeless situation. Homeless situation is a result of, well, we're, this, is, this is simply the dregs. When you pour the coffee... And then you're left at the bottom are all the dregs, all the junk. That is what you've cooked. In our culture and their philosophies, the cities are showing us the result of wantonness. They're showing us the result of giving way to all types of addictions, whatever that might be. Look at our cities. When I first began to minister, I began to minister there, there on, in, in L.A., down at the street, among the homeless, among the drunks and the pimps and the perverts, talking one-to-one to them, and almost to the man, almost to the woman, they were there because of some vice or some addiction that destroyed their lives. You see, we see that San Francisco is a dying city, a dying city because of these people that are given over to all licentiousness, and it's not just the homeless person. These are people in Sacramento that live also the same way, giving full, full vent to all the pleasures of life. And so we're paying the price for that. And God is saying, this is not for us. This is not for us. 
Along the border of America, there are millions of people endeavoring to come across the border to join us. Now, whatever your position is on that, that's beside the point. If you lived where they lived and you heard what they heard about here, you would also make your journey in this direction. And more so because their nations had been destroyed by our licentiousness, by our addictions to heroin and to marijuana and to drugs and to fentanyl. And we are supporting entire nations, corrupt nations, destroying their culture. Try to satisfy our insatiable desires for these types of issues. And somehow, friend, we have to realize that's not for us. That's not for us. Our greatest debate today, our greatest debate today is with some of your young people. Young people. Our, our, our main argument with you, friend, is drinking. Is it okay for Christians to drink? And you will have 25 reasons why it's okay for Christians to drink. And you'll argue that to the day that you die. And all that you've done is that all you revealed to us is that you have fallen prey to the world out there. Because if you knew, if you knew the, 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 the drink that Jesus drank and the drink that is sold in your bar are miles apart, miles apart. Like the pot you buy today and the pot that was sold 50 years ago are miles apart. Our culture is not idle. Our culture creates. And there's a need where God calls us to separate. We need to be a people that live a, a separated life. You know, Montoya, you sound a little bit wacko. You sound like you're really, you know, like you're out of it. Well, friend, you live your way and I live my way. God called me to live for God. You do your thing, and I'll do my thing. And so in the end, we'll see who wins. Because Jesus and, and Peter said, yours is a futile way of life. It's a dead-end street. For me, it's a living hope for our Lord Jesus Christ. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And notice also the third exhortation. Third exhortation is found in verse 15. But like the Holy One that called you, be holy yourselves. Follow me now. Follow me. Be holy yourselves also in all your... What's the word? I can't hear you. I still can't hear you. Conduct. Conduct. Zero in on that. See, Peter is not just arguing holiness. He's not just arguing holiness. Holiness is a broad term that involves a lot. Peter is arguing one facet of holiness, which is conduct, holy conduct. We have a lot of churches that are in theology. We theologize. We're talking about holiness and issues like that. We have men in our churches like this, for example. Some of you men, some of you uppity, uppity women who argue theology. You're, you're a six-point Calvinist. You can talk about infralapsarian and supralapsarian. You're worried about God and theology proper and bibliology and, and Christology and soteriology and eschatology, etc. And you can answer all the questions. The only problem is your life is a mess. Your life is a mess. Your own dog spits on you. You see, because it does, that's not what it's about. 
Peter is not talking about theology. Though he's using theology, the theology in Peter is deep, deep. Peter's theology is so deep. He begins with election. Chapter 1, verse 1. He addresses elect sojourners, elect pilgrims. Begins the whole discussion on election. But the purpose of election is holy living. Begins and ends with, so that you might be in obedience to Christ. Live obedience to Christ. He'll offer, he'll talk about theology and God, as we'll talk about in a few moments, with the end result that it's holy living. He'll talk about the incarnation and soteriology and the cross. All to show us that he bore our sins on the cross in his body, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's the purpose of the incarnation and the atonement. And eschatology, this stuff in Peter that's found in no place else, but always with this in mind, that we might live a holy life. This word in verse 15, in all your behavior, is a very special word. It describes conduct. It's a word peculiar to Peter. Now, it's found in, it's found in the Gospels in a few occasions. Paul, every now and uses this. Paul's favorite term is the walk of the believer. But Peter, he's, this is his favorite term. It's the word anastrophe. Anastrophe, which is a combination of two words, Ana, which means to repeat, do again, and strefo, which means to turn, to turn or to repeat. In other words, the way that you do something over and over and over again, that's how Peter describes behavior conduct. What is the way you live? What is your normal manner of life? What is your conduct? That is what Peter is arguing here. He's arguing. It is interesting. Look at verse 16. Are you there now? Follow me. Verse 16. As it is because it is written, you shall be holy. Why? Because what? Now, let me ask you. From what book of the Bible is Peter quoting from? Leviticus. Leviticus. Book of Leviticus, you are an extremely learned crowd. The second, first service I asked, nobody knew the answer. The only person who knew the answer was, was Dr. Kelly, but nobody else knew the answer. Few here knew the answer. Leviticus. The five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Leviticus stands out. It's the book that when most of us read through the five books of Moses, we bypass Leviticus. We jump over it. Why? Because it is a description of Israel's behavior. It is nitty-gritty. It is point by point. It covers all of behavior. All of, it has to do with dress, has to do with the way priests and Levites would dress. Talks about even how we as men and women should dress. It should be obvious that you're a woman. should be obvious that you're a man by the way you dress. That's in Leviticus. Your diets are described 
in Leviticus. The way you treat your neighbor, the way you treat your animals, described in Leviticus. It's point by point. It is interesting that Peter, in describing Christian conduct, that of all the books in the Bible to choose from, he could have quoted from Exodus chapter 3, the call that he gave to Moses. He could have called, spoken from Isaiah chapter 6 on the call to Isaiah, the triune, holy, 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 but he didn't. He went to Leviticus and three times in Leviticus it says, you shall be holy because I am holy. And so he gets to the nitty-gritty of life. Now people from Compass Bible Church, here is our problem. Is that we don't want preachers to come into our pulpits and get into our kitchen and get into our fridges. We don't want that. We don't want anybody telling me how to live out my Christian life. You don't want Montoya or anybody else getting into your face and telling you how to live your life. We don't want that. And so when it comes to this particular topic, we are not, that's why we're in the mess that we're in. Because it's every man doing their own thing. Religion according to me. Practice according to me and not according to God's word. You see, and so it is that that's, that's the problem we have today. We don't, want, we don't have people slicing it and stick, talking specifically, well, Peter, Peter is not going to react. He's not going to go that route. He's going to go and expound to us holy, holy behavior. For example, let's just, just take a, a bird's eye view. In chapter 1, verse 22, now follow me. Follow me in your Bibles. Bird's eye view. If you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, then fervently love one another from the heart. He says your life should be that you should be loving each other from the heart. You are called to a family of God. You're called to become part of God's church. Listen, you can't just come to church here and sit in your privacy of your two pews or three pews, listen to worship, join together with the a few songs together, and then we say the amen, and you're gone, and bother with nobody else. That is not what Christ is about. You are to love the people of God fervently from your heart, sincerity. We have churches where we have same family members in the same church who never speak to one another. We have still some that are Christians who go to different churches and never speak to each other. What? kind of trash is that? We're called to fervently love one another. Look at chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. It reminded us here that we should then have our behavior excellent. Verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, the unbelievers, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds, your behavior, as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. Why are we not winning the world for Christ? Because we're different out there than we are in here. We are not. We don't practice godly behavior. We need to be excellent in our behavior. He goes on in chapter 2, verses 13 to 16, 17, speak about our social involvement in government, in society. He speaks about verses 18 through 20, 25, one of the great, great Christological sections of all of Scripture, to all to point this out, that if you are a slave and you have a master, then obey 
your masters and be the best. Don't pilfer, don't steal, don't be argumentative. Do what needs to be done. If you work in a business, if you're a, a, a manager, a boss, or a worker, be at the best. Be honest, be loyal, be sincere, be trustworthy. That is what God calls you to do. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, he speaks about marriages. He begins to talk about wives. You have an ungodly husband. You have a, a, a husband that's unsaved. You have a husband that's kind of not walking with God. What's the best way to win him to Christ? By your behavior. By your anastrophe. By the way you live. The way you conduct yourself. The way you dress. The way you talk. Your attitude towards him. Your recognition of his headship. All of that is designed there. Listen, ladies. Listen, ladies. Listen to me. There's no egalitarian in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. There's none of that. There's none of that promiscuity. There's none, of that, uh, there's none of that profanity that we find today. There's none of that here. It's always the great woman of God, the holy, the holy woman in all her conduct, displaying, displaying God in her life. And in verse 7, he comes and dresses the men and you husbands. Make sure you live with your wives with understanding, with holy living. She is woman. She is woman. She is also a fellow heir of the grace of life. That's who she is. And so Peter distinguishes only men and women. And sir, you're married to a woman. She's different. She's weaker than you are physically. She needs your help. She needs your protection. She needs your kindness. She needs your leadership for you to be the man of God that God wants you to be and to protect her. He needs for you to give her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of God. Sir, you cannot treat your wife any different than you would treat any other sister in this particular church. You've seen it. Your wives have seen it. Your husbands, oh, hi, Sally. Oh, hi, Mary. Oh, yes. Oh, isn't God so good? Oh, yes. And wow. Yes, and this. And then you go home and you spit on your wife. What's that about? What kind of low-down hypocrisy is that about? You're, you're not a man. You're not even half a man. He says, no. Treat your wife because she's a fellow heir of the grace of God. She's a sister in Christ. And never abuse her under any circumstance. He's in our face, people. This is Peter talking to us the way a father would talk to his son. Talking about his marriage and about his family. He says, and so he continues that in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, and in chapter 5. Imagine that. This is Peter about holy, holy conduct. See, it has to be something that we, we need to speak about that. We need to address that. And I'm just your, I'm just your visiting speaker. I'm just here, you know, exposing to us and calling us to a different uh, uh, an, an analysis that our lives really matter, and that we need to respond. See, we don't want that. In the second hour, we had a guy sitting over here, and he had a cap on, had a cap on. This is a worship service. And my Bible says in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians that when you are in a worship service, you take your hat off in honor of your head, honor of your head. 
And I asked him, take, he took his hat off. But as soon as we had the worship team, he put the hat back on. In other words, it was not, he was not going to respond. He's not interested, not interested in having any change take place in our lives. And that's what we are in many of our churches. We don't want anybody telling us how to live, how to do things. And so you're probably saying, you know, I'm glad that Pastor Mike is our pastor, not this guy Montoya. <laughs> Let's come to our final exhortation. Go back to chapter 1, our final exhortation. And that's this one, that the exhortation that we have been given comes from God. It's rooted in God. Understand that. Now, you may differ with what I'm saying to you, but when it's all said and done, my dear friends, who is addressing us is God. That's why it says in verses 15 and 16, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. It is written, you shall be holy because I am holy. So why should we be holy, Pastor? Because God said so. Oh, really? Yeah. And God is holy. He says, be holy because I'm, I'm holy. End of discussion. End of discussion. When it comes to holy behavior, when God says about it, end of discussion. See, we're always arguing, always debating our particular issues in, when it comes to behavior. Our behavior is such free fall, such free fall, that you, you are just consumed with filth and perversion everywhere. You cannot sit and watch a television pro. Even commercials are filled with perversion. You can't, you can't work through a magazine. You can't listen to music, except it be, it be totally inundated. And so we need no argument here. We should be holy in our conduct because God is holy. Done. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17 in your text. It says, if you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves, how? I didn't hear you. In fear during the time of your sojourning. That's the technical word there. He says, therefore, we then, we then are called to holy living by, by a righteous God, by a righteous God who exercises righteous judgment. If God is your father, if you call God your father and he judges without partiality, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. You're wrong. He deals with you. That's all there is to it. Think of our man Moses. Think of our man Moses, the most humble man that ever lived, a great man of God. But let me ask you, did Moses enter the promised land? No. Why? Because he disobeyed God, regarded God as unholy. By disobeying God, regarded God as unholy, and God said, Moses, that will not do. Because you chose to disregard my holiness I have to judge you, and I will judge you, and your judgment is that you will not enter the promised land. You'll see it from a distance, but you'll never enter in. And so God dealt with him. See, we are so into grace and so into mercy and so into this love thing that we have totally misjudged who God is, that God is absolutely righteous and absolutely just. 
in the fourth chapter of the, of the book of 1 Peter, he begins to tell the people it is time for God to begin to judge this nation, this world, for some godliness. And listen to me. And he, he's going to begin with you, the people of God. See, we are under the impression that somehow we can behave whatever way we want to behave, and, and God will just kind of patch you on the, on the head and say, well, you know, I know that you're weak, and I know that you have issues, but you go in peace. That's not the way it happens, people. Look at our counseling centers. Look at our counseling times. You know, it's filled, it's filled with people that have cheated on God, whose life has lived on, on the edge of rebellion, and, and, and that's who has the problems. They're the ones that have the issues. Because sin always comes back and bite us. God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, go tell these people. Go tell these people. Their sins have not wronged me. Their sins are not bothering me. Their sins are bothering them. They're coming back on their heads because God is always in the business of judging his people. Don't for a minute think that you and I can live a life that's half in, half out skirting on this and skirting on that and somehow get away with it. That you as a young lady can go out and start dating unbelievers and start dating low-lifers and get involved with them sexually and immorally and be rebellious to your wife, to your husband, to, to your parents and lie and cheat. And somehow you're going to get away with it and God will never, never deal with you and judge you. Oh, listen, Shabala. Oh, listen to me, little sister. You have got a payday Someday coming to you. I had a guy come to me years ago, years ago. Listen to me now. He said, Pastor, I'm divorcing my wife. He said, I'm just, just like this. I'm divorcing my wife. I don't love her anymore. I'm divorcing her. I said, you can't do that. It's sin. I says, I, he said, I know. But God forgives sin. I'm going to divorce her. And then I'm going to leave the church. Go to another church. I'm going to ask God for forgiveness, and he'll forgive me. And then I'm going to remarry somebody else. I'm going to do that. I said, you can't do that. He did anyway. Hmm? Payday, someday. Payday, someday. I've lived long enough to see what God did to him in the course of his life. It has been a hell on earth. Friend. Not even I, not even you, not even Moses. No one gets away with it. I want to say that because some of us here are secret. We're secretly in rebellion against God. We're simply reacting negatively to what Peter's saying to us. May I say to you, there's a payday someday. I would rather say let's repent today. Let's ask God for forgiveness and let's get on living for God. Would you say amen to that? Yeah, we can, we can react to the sermon in many different ways. Some of you can say, well, Montoya, I don't know. I, I wish my aunt had been here. She needs this message. Or, or I wish my husband would have come to this one. He really needs it. You know, or, or, we can, or we can react this way. I have, I have four. I have, I have four wonderful sisters and a lovely wife. And uh, uh, these sisters, they... At least four of these are impeccable housekeepers. Impeccable. They go to their homes and everything's in place. Everything's in place. 
They go to my home and everything's in place. I wish I could, I could say that I had the liberty to put my, put my feet up and put my cup of coffee any place, etc. I don't. She runs an immaculate house. I have to hold on to my plate as I eat. Otherwise, it's snatched and put in the washing machine, you know, dishwasher. You know what I'm saying? Well, I live in a neighborhood, live in a neighborhood where we have like various levels across the freeway are like some middle-class homes. And then this way are little higher middle-class homes. That's where we live. And then up on the hill are where all the rich people live, all the doctors and lawyers and all that. So I liked, I took my sister up there one just, just a showcase. And I said, look at this house and look at that house and look at this lawn, Mary Cute. Look at this wonderful house. And look, and she was, wow, oh, wow. And she was like, wow. And when we got toward the home, she says, wow, I need to go home and clean my house. I need to go home and clean my house. When you come face to face with God, speaking to you in your life, and you're a sincere believer, you walk away saying, Lord, thank you. I need to go home and clean my house. I need to go home and clean my house. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for forgiveness of our sins. We don't ever minimize the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that all, any sinner plunged beneath that flood of the precious blood of Christ is cleansed of their sins forgiven and covered. Lord, we need you to touch us this morning. We need forgiveness for our sins that we have transgressed against you. And some, Lord, this morning need forgiveness for their sins that they have committed against you and have not ever come to Jesus. They don't know you. Open their hearts and minds. Show them they must repent and give their hearts to Christ and to do that with all sincerity and all honesty and submit their hearts to you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and being a gracious, godly Father wants us to be truly, truly holy for only then can we truly, can we be truly, truly happy. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 